We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. As I've been doing the past couple of weeks, I'm going to announce another person that's going to be hanging out with us at Retro World Expo the last weekend of August in Hartford, Connecticut. And this weekend, it's Artemio. That's right, coming all the way here just to hang out with you is Artemio, who has created the 240p test suite, MD Fourier, and has been a major part of countless projects in the retro gaming world to the point where it would take a full podcast just to list them all. So hopefully you all know exactly who I'm talking about, but please come hang out and welcome Artemio to Retro World. But anyway, let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up is a firmware update for the Xbox HD, which is a digital-to-digital HDMI mod for the original Xbox, and this is a free firmware update that contains a whole bunch of cool stuff, including aspect ratio correction, a new UI, true multi-region support, and really just a long list of different things and updates. So if you own one of these, definitely check out the post. Uh, try to update the firmware. It doesn't seem like it's a hard process. It seems like you could either do it right over the internet or you could just FTP to your Xbox and copy the files over. But all the links and everything you need are in the description, including a link on where to purchase it. But this is definitely a cool mod. And if you're a big fan of the original Xbox, I think this is a really awesome way to get a perfectly clean digital signal out of it. Greg from LaserBear has just posted a new firmware update for his LCD CRT kits driver boards. And if you're unfamiliar with these, they're basically high-resolution tablet screens that are in a case made to resemble a CRT. And I've done a bunch of videos on them. I think they're absolutely awesome and a really cool way to have a small resemblance of a CRT, but with modern components. And you don't have to worry about any of the downsides of CRTs, like the weight, you know, leaky caps or any of that other stuff. The firmware update adds support for an infrared remote control, a 180-degree rotation mode, and an updated FreeSync engine, as well as the ability to have aspect ratio controls, which is pretty cool. Uh, This is one of those weird scenarios where you would want more aspect control because it's a 4x3 panel, so if you have to send it a 16x9 signal that only has the image in the middle, this would allow for stretching and other options that weren't there in the original firmware for it. The only downside is in order to get this firmware upgrade done, you either have to purchase a new programmer, I don't think this is the type of programmer most people would have laying around, or you could remove the driver board and send it back to LaserBear for an upgrade service. This is kind of par for the course for a lot of stuff that we use in retro gaming because a lot of these components don't have built-in USB updaters, and that would add a whole bunch of cost to them anyway, and in most cases, you probably don't need it. And to be honest, 
but my LCD CRT is working perfect. It's flawless with the mister. I don't need any of these extra features, so I'm not going to bother upgrading. But if any of those features uh, pique your interest and it's something that you might want to add, at least check out Greg's post. He has a full guide here showing you exactly how to do it um, and everything that you would need. So maybe it's worth it to you, maybe not. That's uh, totally up to you. Just check out the feature set and see if that's something that you'd benefit from. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, my favorite place to go for all the hardware projects I'm involved in. Boards up to two layers are usually ready to ship within a day or two, and boards up to six layers ship within a week, all for the same starting price of $2 for five pieces. They also offer stencils for people assembling their own components with a reflow oven, as well as even offer full assembly options for SMD and through-hole components if you'd like them to make the whole thing. Getting started is as easy as adding a Gerber file right to their website, selecting your options, color, and how many you'd like made. You can even add a stencil right from here to make it easier. If you're in a rush, you can get your orders extremely fast via DHL shipping. It's not cheap, but you'll be impressed how fast your order arrives. If you're on a budget or just not in a rush, they have shipping options starting at under $5. If you'd like more info on JLC PCB, keep checking out these ads as the weeks go by, as I'll soon post more walkthroughs on how to use all the features they offer. Steve from RetroTech just posted a video about a very cool device that's an RF tuner designed for Sony PVM monitors, and specifically is designed to fit the small 8-inch ones. And, of course, because Steve got one, I had to get one too, just because I thought these things were really neat. But they're not for everybody, and I'll explain why. If you need to connect an RF signal to uh, any kind of 15 kilohertz monitor with, let's say, composite video inputs, but no RF inputs... The cheapest way to do it is to go get an old beat-up VCR, including one that doesn't even work anymore. It eats tapes, you wouldn't want to put anything in it, but it does still power on. You should be able to route your old RF-only consoles through that and use its composite and audio output to go into your monitor. You can still find those for dirt cheap, if not free in many cases. So if you're really just looking to solve a problem, I would recommend going the cheapest route possible. But if you're a CRT enthusiast or just a huge nerd like we are, these things seem very cool. And according to Steve's video, I believe it was also able to accept uh, Japanese RF as well. So I think it has to be NTSC, but you could just uh, tune in for a different channel if you have like a, an original Famicom or something like that. So please check out Steve's video for more info. Um, I'll leave a link to the exact place I bought mine from Anything with the same model number should be fine, but I know whenever people buy off of eBay, especially when I buy off of eBay, it's nice to know if you've purchased from somebody that's a confirmed not terrible seller rather than just, you know, fire away and, and hope for the best. So uh, definitely check out Steve's video and, of course, the post as well. Steve put a bunch of really awesome pictures and write-up in the post too, which is great for archival stuff because as much as I love his videos, it's really nice to be able to just reference something and scroll down into a post. So however you prefer to do it, read, watch, or both, definitely check this one out if you're into stuff for PVMs, because I didn't even know this existed, and it's a pretty neat device. RetroAccess has just opened pre-orders on a reverse SCART head adapter cable meant for the RetroTank 5X. 
So the RT5X escarp port has you route the cable away from it towards the front, whereas this reverse SCART head cable routes it around the backside, which might be just aesthetically better for some people. I was recommending that shielded flat cable for a while, however those seem to be out of stock everywhere, making this a very well-timed pre-order. So if you are interested in that, it comes in plug and receptacle versions, meaning if you already have something like a G-SCART switch setup, you can get the plug version that one end goes into the RT5X, the other one goes into your switch, and you could also get the receptacle version if you're somebody that plugs one thing in at a time, or if you already have a really long SCART cable that you want to use to plug into it. Uh, overall, I mean, it's about as basic as it gets. It's one of their uh, shielded Fortreflex designs. I always get that name wrong. My apologies. Um, and it's just as good as all their other stuff. So I, I would buy this one with confidence knowing it's going to perform as well as all the other things. Uh, now, they did mention that it's for the RetroTink 5X only, but I think that's just for support reasons. I'm pretty sure you could use this in any scenario in which you would want the SCART cable to be routed the opposite way that it normally does. Uh, to be honest, if I were them, I would do the same thing too, just to just to alleviate any crazy support issues. Like, I just plugged this into my lampshade and wrapped it around my PVM and, you know, whatever. So um, use it however you would like it, but it is intended for use with the RetroTink 5X just for routing stuff. So links are in Ronnie's post uh, if you have any questions, and there's some pictures and some more details if you'd like it as well. Crix has just posted a new firmware update for the Mega EverDrive Pro, which is both a ROM car and an optical drive emulator for the Sega Genesis that plays Genesis, Sega CD, Master System, and 32X games if you have a 32X as well. There are a bunch of different features added to this one. Uh, one is a fix for people having issues with 32X and Genesis consoles with VA4 motherboards, which is pretty interesting because I've had tons of 32X compatibilities over the years with even original carts. So the fact that Crix is looking into any workarounds for it is really awesome. Also, each game gets its own subfolder now, containing the save game file, cheat codes, etc., which should make all those things a little bit easier to manage than dumping them all into one folder. There's also a bunch of other stuff like an NES core update and some fixes for the Mega CD stuff. And also, there's some issues with Mega Drive Plus games. That's the CD quality sound games as well, kind of like adding CD sound to a Genesis game like the MSU-1 for Super Nintendo. And Crix then updated an, or uploaded another beta firmware for that as well. So one trick that I always do, do whenever I put firmware updates for Crix's stuff is I post a link to the latest firmware update files, which makes it easier. So if you ever read this one with, you know, this says firmware version 4.15, you click on it and you go in, you could see if there's a 4.16 in there, then there's obviously been a newer one. And of course the betas are in the beta folder where there is a 4.16 uh, if you're interested in that. So, um, you know, for me personally, I'd go right for the beta because I'm so used to testing stuff, but I think that's really only focused on MD+. So either way, if you own this ROM cart, I would absolutely do the firmware update because it's free, you get more features, and why not? So thanks to Crix for continuing to update all this stuff as the years go on. Greg from LaserBear is now selling a repair kit for the clicky D-pad on Neo Geo CD controllers. 
And if you're unfamiliar, those controllers don't use a standard plus-style D-pad. They have kind of a circle that when you put your thumb on it and move it around, it clicks as it goes into the different positions, which is a great fit for some games, maybe not for others, but they don't last as long as a standard D-pad, and Greg now has a kit for you to purchase that you could install yourself that will repair it, which is very cool because things like this are usually hard to come by, impossible to repair, and it's really nice that we finally have a solution. So please check out Greg's post for more info. He also has a full video install guide that walks you through the entire process from start to finish, and everything you need is right here in the post. Lewis from Zez Retro just posted a video and a written guide on how to use an Arduino Pro Micro to lag test your controllers using the Mister. And this is the same exact process Porkshop Express uses for the Mister add-on's latency sheet, making it an incredibly accurate way to test latency on your controllers. I think this is really the solution for people who are want to know if their controllers are good enough to be used in pro competition environments, or for just nerds like me that think stuff like this is fun and want to help contribute to the controller latency test sheet, or even just verify results that are already there, which is always a good thing. Um, Lewis walks you through pretty much everything that you would need. And really the hardest part, once the initial setup is done, is going to be soldering to the pads on each individual controller. Lewis showed a trick for this. Another trick that I've used is to use a fiberglass pen if you need to remove some of the mask around the area in order to get more of a grip with solder and obviously use some flux and stuff if you need to. And then you get to clean it all up when you're done. But this really could be a non-destructive way to test controllers as well. I would just uh, also be careful that the more modern controller the the more stuff on there is on there and the more things could go wrong especially if it's more than a two-layer board but other than that i mean the process is pretty straightforward and lewis really walks you through everything that you need so if you're a test nerd like we are consider picking up one of these they're not expensive to make one yourself and you could just use mr and the mr core uh, a custom test core in order to do it and i just really think stuff like this is super important because while i am a hundred percent guilty when i first started retro rgb of being one of the people that said things like i don't think it feels like there's much lag I pretty much immediately jumped off of that and started realizing how important hard numbers are to all of this stuff. And there's a lot of controllers out there that are not expensive, that are very, very fast. And I think it's awesome that we're able to test with these methods to really prove that out. There's also some more expensive ones out there that are pretty slow, which is also a good way, uh, a good way to determine all of that. So uh, check out Lewis's post. Uh, and you know, thanks again to him for taking the time to do this because I kept meaning to try this out myself and I just never had time. So now I have a guide to get me started and I'll definitely at some point going to be doing a live stream about that as well. Probably going to be just exactly the same as what Lewis did, but I'm a nerd. I want to do it too. <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if anything piques your interest, please check out Lou's post and, of course, his video and his YouTube channel. 
Starting us out, Pierco posted a playable beta of Rodland for his Patreon subscribers. This is an action platformer where you take control of a fairy with a magical rod that you use to clear levels of enemies. It runs on the Jalico Master System 1 hardware, and other games on that hardware are Saint Dragon, 64th Street, A Detective Story, and the Aztenax. I'm probably not saying that right at all, but so that's cool. That means that this core is really going to be uh, opening up for multiple games. There's also some PlayStation Core updates uh, where it's becoming more accurate thanks to a bunch of developers going and using the accuracy tests. So thank you to everybody involved in that. Uh, and all of the tests for the GTE timings are matching the results of a real PlayStation. So that's the Geometry Transform engine. So that's pretty cool. I mean, we're really getting to, to high levels of accuracy on that. Um, also, Otego updated... Uh, an issue with Street Fighter 1, where he and Track 17, A-Track, I'm sorry, dude, I don't know, <laughs> I never knew how to say your name right, uh, and Darren O identified the issue and notified him, so now Street Fighter 1 is working and playable, and he's also made some progress with PCB extraction, so the schematics from Capcom Bowling have been completed, as well as Gunbird 2, which is a ton of work, by the way. So it's very cool that uh, that this stuff is being uh, more progress is being made on this. Um, there's also games coming that were made on IRM's M72 Plus hardware, starting with Dragon Breed. Other games that run in this hardware are R-Type, Ninja Spirit, Image Fight, Legend of the Hera, Tama, Tanma, sorry, and others. So that's also going to be a pretty big one when that core starts to get finished. The Megumi Rescue arcade game has been added, which is, uh, that was added to the Master System Core by Grey Rogue, and that core has support for Sega's System E arcade hardware, which is awesome. The more arcade hardware we get, the better, and hopefully this stuff will eventually start to overlap, so a lot of the chips that may have been used might help other developers in the reverse engineering process, but none of this stuff is easy. Also, the um, thanks to the Ypsilon Taito Egret Spinner Support has been added for Arkanoid. So the Taito Egret Mini uh, little arcade machine thing also had a bunch of accessories released with it, like controllers and a spinner controller. And now the Ypsilon has added support for that spinner, allowing you to play Arkanoid the right way. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm sure you could try to play it with a D-pad, but a spinner controller is absolutely one of the best ways to play it. I actually think a touchscreen on your iPhone or, or Android phone or whatever, or tablet, I guess, is another interesting way to play it. It's cool, but definitely I prefer those games without a D-pad because it just it makes the experience very interesting and kind of more fluid, if you will. So very big thanks to that. Um, we already talked about uh, Zez Retro lag tests. Thanks again to Lewis. There's also a test build of variable refresh rate being added to Mr., which is very cool. That syncs the refresh rate of your display to the refresh rate of whatever core is running, which is really awesome if you have things like, uh, I think Lou used the perfect example here, if you're running Mortal Kombat at 53.2 hertz, if you run that game on a 60 hertz display, you're going to get frame stutters, tearing, and a bunch of annoying things that anybody who's ever tried to play Mortal Kombat would, uh, would probably attest to, so, or at least through emulation and stuff like that. So it is very, very cool that this is being released and being worked on. So if you have a monitor with variable refresh rate that's, um, that supports this stuff, you could have 
a very smooth experience with these. On a side note, I would love a 4K 120 monitor with variable refresh rate and FreeSync and G-Sync and all that stuff. Um, I got an awesome BenQ 4K 60 monitor now, but the 4K 120s are all way out of my price range. So if anybody knows of a sale or a really cheap one or something, please let me know because I definitely want to do one, some more 120 hertz testing. Anyway, there's also a bunch of miscellaneous updates to the ZX Spectrum, Amstrad, Master System, SNES, Genesis, and Mega CD cores. Um, I subscribe to pretty much all of the Mr. Devs on Patreon, and I see these updates coming in real time. And I appreciate that Lou takes the time to mention the miscellaneous updates because the little fixes, at least in my very strong opinion, the little fixes are equally as important as the big ones, even though they're not as flashy or as exciting to talk about. It just means that these cores are getting more and more and more accurate as time goes on, which is really great for everybody. So thanks very much to all the devs, especially thanks to Lou for taking all of the hard work of putting this stuff together and making it in one very easy place. And please make sure to subscribe to him on YouTube as well. So thanks to everybody on the mystery team. Uh, that was a, a bunch of cool updates this week. I just did a live stream testing a new capture solution for new 3DS XL consoles, and I really liked it, thought it was pretty cool, but I want to skip to the end and give my recommendation and then kind of go back and skim through. Of course, the live stream is still up if anybody's interested, but here's the basic summary. The kit takes a very long time to install, and it's a very challenging installation, which means you're either going to spend a day doing it or you're going to pay somebody a ton of money to do it for you which means that I think at the moment, this kit is really designed for pro gamers. So pro streamers, um, anybody who's a content creator that wants to capture really accurate audio and video from a kit on your PC, or maybe speedrunners who play on the console but wanna have a really cool recording of whatever speedrun they're doing. This is really more for a pro thing at the moment. Of course, you could also use it if you are just a hardcore 3DS fan that wants a pretty neat solution, but there really aren't any other choices. The other kits that were released that were similar, I think had been discontinued a long time ago. And also, any of the HDMI mods that were talked about, I don't think are anywhere near ready. I could be wrong about that. I hope I'm wrong about that. But not only do I not think they're ready, close to being ready, we're still midway through a global part shortage. So even if somebody finished up a kit by the end of this year, they might not be able to sell it for another year after that. So... Not really many other options. This really is a premium, expensive solution. But I, now that I got that out of the way, I do want to talk about it because I liked it a lot. I was joined on stream by my friend Ben from iFix Retro, who did the mod for me. And the kit works similar to other previous kits where it has a USB output that goes into your, at least at the moment, Windows machine. I'm not sure if they're adding support for other operating systems. And then you load up a piece of software that gives you a ton of options. You could do integer scaling. You could mix and match the screen sizes. You could make it full screen and have side-by-side -side 3D or even anaglyph 3D. That's the red and blue glasses type of stuff. Um, it really is just a, a very cool solution. And it even captures audio as well as video, which was an issue on some of the previous kits where you needed to get audio from the headphone jack output of your 3DS. Uh, there was a bit of confusion because this is a new kit for the new 3DS XL. So saying new twice in the sentence, uh, I think people, some people were confused and said, oh, this kit's been around for years. 
I don't think so. I'm pretty sure this is a brand new kit that was obviously inspired by the previous, but I could be wrong about that one. I think this is a totally different one than was out there before. Overall, I really liked it. Um, I also lag tested it and got variable latency between one and a half and under three frames of latency. So I think considering the context, that's pretty darn good. Obviously, if you're a speedrunner, you would want to use this for capture only. But if you're a casual gamer, I think this latency is going to be way less than a lot of other options. I definitely remember playing DS Virtual Console games on the Wii U on my Plasma TV, and I couldn't beat New Super Mario Brothers. I had to then switch to a CRT because the latency was just way too much. And even though my Plasma only had two frames of lag, I, there was so much emulation latency that I took anything I could get in order to improve it. So in that context, I think this is pretty cool. Obviously, I would prefer a zero lag HDMI solution that has similar options to it, which might not even be possible. You might require a couple of frames buffer. I have no idea. I'm not smart enough to know that stuff, but I am smart enough to test it. So that's basically what you got here. We got a demo of um, 3DS, DS, Game Boy Advance games, as well as all of them in their one-to-one modes and full screen. Uh, we did full lag tests. And of course, I showed both in the live stream and here in the post, the exact settings I used to get the latency down as low as possible. If you find different settings, please let me know and I will update this post. But Ben and I spent quite a bit of time on the lag test portion of this live stream. So hopefully that kind of sums everything up. If you're interested, please give it a watch. And if not, this was a just a very shortened summary that should give you all the info that you need to know on it. So there's some good news for people that purchased the enhanced edition of Blade Runner on Steam. If you purchased it, you could also get the Scum VM version with it for free. Matt has a post here that shows you how to extract that from the purchase, and you could just run it on your PC basically as a legal and already working way of getting this original Blade Runner game running on your modern PC. Unfortunately, the remake is not getting very good reviews, meaning that you would have basically purchased that. I think a lot of people said they were just going to purchase it and use the Scum VM version because they didn't like the newer one. So that kind of stinks. I don't know enough about the situation to give my thoughts on it. I just feel bad because I know a bunch of people were very excited about this and were let down. So I recommend checking out Matt's post if you want more info, or at the very least, if you just want to learn how to get the original Scum VM version out of the Steam version that you just purchased. Before I go, I want to talk about a light gun focused live stream I did with Steve from RetroTech, but it's currently unlisted because there's a whole bunch of just empty space in there where we're figuring stuff out. And to be honest, if you're not into light guns at all, you could just close off the podcast. There's nothing after this, and I don't want to waste anybody's time. But if you are into light guns, I want to summarize what we looked into uh, and also maybe even ask for your help. But the issue I ran into is that I had a bunch of family over and the kids wanted to play video games. So I brought out some of the light gun games because those are super easy to get started. Anybody could figure out how to play Duck Hunt. And I was having issues with uh, one of my monitors, the JVC 36-inch D-Series, where it was very inaccurate and the entire lower right side of the monitor mostly didn't work when you were trying to shoot in that area. So I tried lights on or off. I tried getting up real close, you know, stepping back one step at a time. And so that always gave me issues. So that's still up in the air uh, as to 
do certain model uh, curved tube TVs have issues with light guns? I've absolutely had that happen with flat glass CRTs. Not all of them. People get some strangely very angry when I talk about this, but not all of them do it. But some flat glass CRTs do have similar issues like that, where it works in the middle, but not around the edges. But this one works in like the upper left, the lower left, but not the lower right. I thought it was very strange. Um, and I really couldn't understand why that was happening. So if anybody has any thoughts onto that, the only thing we were not able to test uh, was I didn't have an extra, well, I guess I didn't have the equipment handy to pick up that 36-inch TV and move it away from my other monitors because it is possible that the magnetic fields of the other CRTs around it are causing issues allowing that to happen. Um, I don't see any issues now. However, when I rotate that big CRT, if it's on, especially if there's a white screen, you could absolutely see interference. But when they're all facing the same direction, they seem to be fine and don't interfere with each other. And anybody that's ever seen old broadcast studios knows that at the very least, the PVMs and BVMs are designed to be stacked that way, um, not on top of each other, but sort of near each other like that. So, uh, that could be an issue, but if you have a 36-inch JVC D-Series, please check it out. I have a 32-inch, too, that I could test eventually as well, but that's wrapped up and buried, so I don't want to get into that quite yet. So that was one of the things that we tested. We also tested a bunch of different light guns on different platforms, and I ran into an issue using the Japanese Sega Saturn light gun with, I believe, the U.S. version of... Uh, Virtua Cop 2. And we only tested that one game because I don't have a Saturn ODE, so I wasn't able to get stacks of, of ROMs like I normally do for testing. So has anybody had any issues with their Saturn gun? Is it like that weird region thing with Dreamcast? I remember from a while back, I mean, I was still living in Stanford then, so almost 10 years, I guess, but... Um, I remember using this exact gun on another Model 1 Saturn, maybe even this exact one, and it worked perfectly. So it could be that just my gun got damaged in you know, all of the moves over the years, because there were quite a few. I could have just gotten a bad CD. I don't really know, but I would love to hear anybody else's thoughts on it. Um, also, lastly... I was able to test out a new snack adapter from Ivory from Retro Castle, uh, the person who makes those very cool Mr. Cases that I like. And what I found on this, I think I'm holding it upside down. Uh, yeah. So what I found on this particular one, I did not have a chance to test memory cards yet, but the memory cards would plug right into the top. Um, light guns absolutely did work through the PlayStation port, but I had to connect the video cable to the analog output. This one didn't, this... Uh, composite video jack on this board didn't work at the moment. Uh, I haven't talked to Ivory yet about it. Uh, this is just a prototype at the moment, I believe. So uh, I wanted to let everybody know that I'm going to be continuing that discussion. But so far, that looks like a very cool adapter. Um, the you know even with the the composite video port just for sync only for the light gun, even with this not quite working for me, it still was awesome because I was able to just plug it into my other uh, plug it directly into the sync line instead. So I'll talk to Ivory about this, but this should be coming out relatively soon, and I, I liked it a lot. I thought it was very cool, um, and it it's positioned so that both the snack port and the standard USB port plug in just to kind of um, keep it 
level and keep it braced pretty good. I like this adapter a lot. So hopefully we'll uh, that will get worked out and we'll see that up for sale soon. But I kind of want to just give a summary because I love light guns and I really want to get everything working on Mr. as well as possible. And that's the very last thing I tested was the GunCon 2 support via USB and you also need the sync port on the Mr. And it was not a good experience. It sort of worked on the Genesis. It didn't really work on anything else. So I was also hoping to work with somebody that knew exactly what to do to make that working on all of the cores that supported. Luckily, Lou from uh, Lou's Retrosource was in the chat and kind of helping a little bit. So if there's any Mr. Devs out there that are an expert at using the GunCon 2 with multiple different cores, I'd love to do a whole other stream on that, and I'd keep that one public. Um, so the only reason I, I made this one unlisted is just because there's a whole lot of speculation. There's a whole lot of, let's try this, that didn't work. All right, let's try this, that didn't work. And I just, I try to be as respectful as I possibly can of people's time so if you're interested in it cool but if not i didn't want to leave that out there and have people get a half hour in and go this sucks so hopefully that came out the right way i meant it nice but uh if you have any ability to help with any of that stuff please let me know because i think light guns are awesome and i think anybody with a crt should at least have the ability to give it a try because it's a unique and fun experience well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible. Without you, none of these videos, the behind-the-scenes research, or any of the stuff I do would be possible. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.